Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to hear another Fruitful Ministry Foundation presentation. The speaker is Reverend Charles Rodney Free. His subject, Measuring Fruitfulness. The Fruitful Ministry Foundation is dedicated to providing advanced, specialized training for a more successful ministry. St. Matthew 25 and 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now I'd like to turn to St. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth 
much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. With the reading of these scriptures today, we have the background for the measure of fruitfulness. There is one more passage of scripture that really should be mentioned before we point out what we're talking about here today, and that is that the seed cast into the earth, some of it didn't do a thing, didn't germinate, didn't come up, didn't make a start. There was no fruitfulness, no achievement, no success. And there were some that did fall on good ground, and it brought forth some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 30-fold. Now, that's what we're concerned with today. There isn't anyone in this room that uh, is fruitless. You wouldn't be here if you were not fruitful. You are obviously a cut above the average, or you wouldn't have bothered yourself from your busy schedule to come and associate yourself with ministers of like precious faith and their wives to stir yourself up to be more fruitful. It's obvious that you are. So we need not even talk about the seed that fell beside the wayside. But I think you're concerned, and I am too, about the great, wide, very difference, very wide differences that are seen in the degree of fruitfulness. The Lord talked about some that would bear a hundredfold, some that would produce sixtyfold, and some that would produce thirtyfold. I think by that simple illustration of the fruit on a tree that you can see there is a great deal of difference between the hundredfold, the sixtyfold, and the thirtyfold. But it all came from the same seed and the same ground. And my feeling is based on the idea that the difference lies not so much in our capability as in our burden. I know men who have tremendous talents who are doing literally nothing. And I know men who don't seem to be very talented who are aflame for God and who are doing real well. While I was enjoying my breakfast today, different brethren came around and were speaking to me about the fine blessing of God that they had enjoyed in their ministry. And I'm very glad about that. So I have said that to say this. Let's rule out in your mind any thinking that you don't have the ability or the capability or the capacity to be an outstanding minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us have vast areas and fields of strength that we do not call into, into play. We have great reserves that we seldom ever tap. And it's that difference that we're talking about today that we'd like during this seminar to bring closer in, between the 100, the 30, and the 64. There are very wide differences in the ministries. Number one, in terms of church growth, there's not a one of us in this room that can't quote figures like this. I talked with a man the other day who had been 21 years in one church, and he had 19 in Sunday school the Sunday before I was there. 21 years, and he had 19 in Sunday school. I know another man who has pastored for 20 years and is running in excess of 600 in Sunday school regularly and ordinarily. Would you believe that this man is a better educated man than this man? This man has perhaps one of the finest libraries in Pentecost. This man went to the sixth grade and he got there because they promoted him, not because he could pass a reading test. 
the, the difference did not lay in capability. It laid in vision and in burden. And I, I'm going to take this position. I must to be true to my soul. There's not a man in this church that's not capable of running 600 in Sunday school. Not a man in this room that's not capable of running 600 in Sunday school. Then in terms of establishing new churches, I'm thinking of, an, of a man right now that I know has established and brought in 18 self-supporting churches. 18 self-supporting churches. He is solely responsible for 18 congregations that are going on with God. Some of the finest paying churches we have today, some of the most impressive assemblies in Pentecost. This man has brought in 18 churches. And yet, there's a great difference. There's a 30, 160. There are some men who have pastored five to 10 different ne'er-do-well assemblies. And in none of those places has he ever made significant gains. But I want to tell you that it is not because men do not have the ability. We have talents and abilities in abundance. Every man does. We are made just a little bit lower than angels. The potential of the human resources, it's fantabulous what a man can do. Dwight L. Moody made this statement. He said, the world waits to see what God can do with any man totally yielded to his spirit. There's a great difference, brethren. Then in terms of uh, producing and training preachers, Brother David Gray, in a recent communication, told me he had sent out 21 ordained, full-time, self-supporting preachers from his church in San Diego. And yet we have some men who have this distinction. No sons in the gospel. They are like Absalom. If they have a memorial in this world, it'll have to be a building. Absalom built him a memorial in the Kingsdale to be remembered by. But you know, he had no sons there. And he died, and they placed rocks over his infamous head. There are, uh, there's a great deal of difference in terms of fruitfulness, in terms of the, uh, the number of preachers that are called and that are produced from a man's ministry. I think there's not a man among us, but what has great delight when you see a a successful minister, but what you can look and say, that man got the Holy Ghost in my meeting, or he received the Holy Ghost in my church. It was my encouragement, it was my training, it was my staying with that man and my disciplining him that produced him in the ministry. I don't think of anything more pleasing in the ministry for fruit than the production and the training of ministers. And then in the third place here, we're talking about in terms of producing strong saints. I feel like that's a definite part of the success of our ministry is producing strong saints. I've seen it and you have too. I've been to churches that would run 200 in Sunday school or 178 or 150 or maybe over 200 and you could not find five men in that church that were self-reliant, that were disciplined and that were trained and that you could turn loose anywhere in that church and they could work. But I feel like there's an area that we need to learn to multiply ourselves. Wheat has one of three destinies. It can be fed to horses, cattle, mules, and goats. 
or it can be ground and milled fine and be turned into flour. And when turned into flour, it's baked for bread for humans. And human hands break it and determine its destiny. Or wheat can be put back into the ground and it can multiply itself a hundredfold in one season. And if men are interested in multiplying their influence and the impact they make in their community and building their churches, we can no longer overlook the need for manpower development in our churches. I'm going to call a name here because it, it seems like I, I need to. He's a dead man now. He's gone. He was a manpower developer. I stood in his place in revival on Sunday night and I personally counted 100 men that I knew had the Holy Ghost. I knew they were tithers. And those men were somewhat in the kingdom. They were personally responsible for things that he turned his hand to do. And I have seen other men among you here who have been ex have had expertise in training and developing real strong saints. I hope you'll find some help in that during this seminar. Then in terms, there's a great difference in the amount of fruitfulness that men have exhibited in money power investments in our churches. I'm glad to talk about that. We ought to talk about money power investments. There are some men that have been responsible for the building of any number of churches. I'm thinking of uh, men in this room today that if you could retract and recall your investments, money would come from almost every point of the compass back to you because you put your bread upon the waters. You helped preachers. You helped build home missionary fields. You helped missionaries. You helped buy equipment for missionaries. And yet there are some men, even though uh, they handle a great deal of money and though it comes through their churches, if you look to see where that money went, it would be just in such a small area. The radius of their money power is very short. But the radius of really successful, fruitful men must be wider and wider and wider, an ever-expanding area. There is no separation between money power and soul power. Let's think on that. How can we uh, increase the money power, the buying power in our local churches? You'll do more for God when you double the income of your church than you're doing now. If you'll notice the parable I read to you from St. Matthew chapter 25, the word talent is used. And all of you are Bible readers and you understand the word talent is a measure of money like nickel or dime or quarter. The word talent is a measure of money. Uh, some of our lay people don't understand that. They think that that has to do with abilities and talents. He said, with my money, you can't put talents in the bank, can you? The ability to play a tuba horn. But you can put money in the bank and it'll pay you interest. There is no separating money flow from success in the work of the Oneness Jesus Name Pentecostal Ministry. Anything you can do to learn to raise funds and channel money through your church will add victory and add blessedness and fruitfulness to your ministry in terms of helping folks. Don't be embarrassed about having money. That's one thing that has held us back too long. We just didn't have the money to do things well. And it takes money to make money. 
And I might throw this in as my personal conviction. Jesus said this, I must be about my Father's business. The church is definitely a business. And the only way to run a business is to find a need, fill that need, do it at sufficient volume, and do it at a profit. So the Lord bless you. I hope you'll pick up some inspiration and some ideas how to get more money. Now I'm going to take this position clearly and plainly in the first session. The money that comes in should come from men who pray through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Any, number, any amount of good has been done by fundraising projects, but the best good has been done for a man that prays through. I intended to do it, and then I declined because I wasn't familiar with everybody that was coming. But I intended to get me a box here and take a toilet tissue roller and put it inside a spindle or an axle and tape a dollar bill to the spindle and then tape 649 more, just tack them with tape, to indicate that one man praying through in your church will possibly be worth $650 in money power for the kingdom of God in your church. And I got to thinking how long this room was. I thought well, what I intended to do just kind of as a, a visual aid was have somebody start at this lectern and go back yonder with those dollar bills. But I found out that $650 would need four, uh, would need 257 feet. And this building about 50 feet long, you'd have to send a man to the back wall with it, bring him back up here, send him back to the back wall, bring him back up here, and end him up at the back wall. That's how much money power there is in one soul. If you and I could get the vision that God has turned money into our hands to use for the glory of God and then get out there and dig us up some people and use that money for the glory of God, I believe we could build churches. I believe we could train preachers. I believe we could make an impact in our generation in this time. And that's given to us to do that. So let's learn to enlarge the sphere of our money power for the kingdom of God. Now then, these produced in varying degrees. It is my belief that the difference in degree lay not so much in capability, but in application. It's in going out there and doing what we already know to do that we'll be more and more fruitful. I point you to this. Success is not optional. That's a new thought with me. I admit that. I'm just late learning that, that success is not optional in the ministry. I think you can think of scriptures right now that tell me that. Uh, some folks have a feeling, uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll just preach a while and see if I can do any good. But rather than that, remember that John 15 and 16 said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that you should go forth and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. The reason that we are chosen is because we have the cap capability of bearing fruit. We have a production ability. We have the ability to achieve worthwhile, predetermined goals for the kingdom of God. We have the ability to produce, the ability to bear fruit. And he said, that's why I chose you, to be fruitful. I know we've heard it enough times, maybe already, where people say this. Well, he just said try. He didn't say get any results. Really, there's not any scripture for that. Then looking also to the fig tree, the fig tree in that vineyard of the Lord 
after three years of testing and waiting patiently, in which there was no judgment, in which there was no penalty for three consecutive years, at the end of that year, he said, if it does not have fruit, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? In the gardener's mind, it was illegal, it was immoral, it was incorrect to let a merely living thing that had shadow and form and substance but had no fruit continue. It's the will of God that we bear, that we yield, that we produce, that we give. Success is not optional in God's work. We, we, are, we, are, we have an obligation upon us to go and do God's work. It's a lovely legend, but I like to think of it, and you, you do, that when Jesus ascended into the heavens, that the angels asked him, Now, Lord, uh, what did you do with the great work you had going? And he said, I left it in the hands of the apostles. And the angel replied, but, ooh, what if they don't turn out right? What if they don't produce? He said, I have no other plans. It is up to us to produce. If this world gets won, it's got to be done by you and me. Nobody's got the message but us. We've got the only saving message in our day and generation. And so fruitfulness is not optional, but... The Lord is depending upon us. He said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away. The vine dressers in California will tell you quickly that they have no mercy on a fruitless bough, that it takes up needed water, it takes up needed nutrients in the soil, and that if it does not produce, they quickly cut it away and let it fall to the ground. And then men come and rake them and put them in carts and carry them away. It's hanging heavy over your head and over mine that we must be fruitful. We understand that. There's no problem in that. We are somewhere in this 30, 60, or 100-fold. But it lies within your hands. It lies within your heart and your mind and your vision and your burden to be what you want to be. Let's be all we can be for God. Life is short. Calvary cost a lot. Jesus struggled and did all that he could do. He had no reserves left in his tank when he said it's finished. He gave every drop, every gallon of his fuel. He had nothing left. Nothing left. Fruitfulness or success is not optional. Now, after success, what's next? Someone says, well, I'll tell you what, I, I am foremost in my field. Uh, I have done all these things. In terms of church growth, when I came here years ago, there was a handful, look what I've got. That's good. That's a good report. Establishing new churches. What would you fellas think of if every one of us, what would happen if every one of us were to get a vision during this seminar to build a church from our church in the next three years? Well, that's a realistic goal. There are builders in this room that scoff at that. They say, well, man, I, I'm doing it right now. But oh, if that vision could be caught that every one of us could build a church out of our church in three years' time. 36 months, the time a man pays a pickup off, he could have a church built. Sure, you can do it. In terms of producing and training preachers, someone may say, but man, that's old hat with me. Good, I'm glad. In terms of producing strong saints, I've got men that can lead the singing. I've got men that can lead the orchestra. I've got men that can really run a Sunday school. I've got men that are great personal evangelists. Good for you. But what after that? 
and men who have great money power investments in the kingdom of God scattered all over the land. What shall we say then? What comes next? He said, Every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more. What's next after success? A newer, greater success. Can you accept this, beloved, that success is not a destination? It is a journey. What happens to, uh, say, a great athletic star, somebody, you know, say a great baseball player, say Babe Ruth, he's dead. Suppose when he had uh, knocked 300 home runs, he said, I'm going to lay my bat down. Few men have ever done that. He would never have been the worldwide champion for 714 home runs in a career. He would never have been that if he had said, this is how far I've come and this is as far I'm going. A man said the other day, if you have the capacity to have 500 in Sunday school and you're not having 500 in Sunday school, you're cheating. He said that. What do you think about that? Is there any sense in that? That success is not only related to what has been done, but as you are fruitful, things are added to you. You gain self-confidence. You gain experience. You gain know-how. You gain impetus. You gain anointing. You gain victory. You gain more help. And with an increased inventory, you ought to have an increased production. The man who has done all these things in terms of establishing churches and making churches grow, producing and training preachers, uh, producing strong saints and who has a great degree, highly developed degree of money, power, investments, that man is actually nearer a breakthrough in his ministry than a man who has never started yet. Watch here. If you have any questions, write them down on your three-by-five cards or if you have something that you feel like would be a good addition to this discussion. I'm going to draw you a couple of icebergs in the North Sea. Now then, what's under these icebergs? They say that 10%... All right, that means that under the water there's this much. Well then, if this is twice as big as that iceberg showing, then under the water God in heaven only knows what's really under there. 10% shows, and 90% is invisible. If you see this sticking up above the water and you know it's bigger than that, then this is immensely larger in its base than that is. Now, in every group of people, let's, let's use fishermen, for instance, 80% of the fish are going to be caught by 20% of the fishermen. And that other 80% of hard luck fishermen are going to come up with a 20% catch. In the work of God, that may be true, that 80% of the souls prayed through are prayed through by 20% of the preachers. And the other 80% of us, we fool around and get 20% of that number prayed through in the kingdom of God. 
And I can tell you, I, I, I know why that is, I think. In any group of people, there's fellows that know it all. You just couldn't come to them with a fresh, new, exciting idea. They're, they're not open for it. They know it all. That's that 80% that gives 20% of the business. But there are some egos in every society. There are some men committed to excellence. That's that 20% of the men who bring in 80% of the sheaves. And they have this attitude. Anything to improve my ministry, have at it. Let's go with it. I want to know more of how, how to be more effective. Now, if you had uh, an idea, suppose you were, uh, you really knew what you were talking about. Now, keep that in mind. You, you know what you're talking about, and you've got an idea. And you're speaking to some Olympic athletes, the world's best. And you've got one man in that room that can go 17 feet and 4 inches on a high jump. And you've got also ran almost winners that can go 17 foot and zero inches. And you got some in there to go 15 foot. High school boys that can go that. You've got an idea now that will add one and a half inches to a man's capacity to his success. And you start talking about that. And you're talking about to men, here's the Olympic champion. And here's a, a guy that's real good. And here's a guy that's just pretty good. Now let me ask you, if you had a terrific idea that would help somebody, in, help anybody increase their height an inch and a half and jump, who is the first man in that room that said, hey, I like that? It's the champion. He knows the value of little things. He knows the value that if I can get just a little more increase, I will secure myself from competition. You take a, a horse that runs in a race and wins $15,000. And a horse finishes behind him just one neck back and he wins $3,000. Now then, that first horse wasn't five times faster. He didn't have five times more oats to eat. He just did a little something. Maybe he put his footwork right one minute quicker than that other horse did. Maybe he had just a grain more desire, but he's going to have five times the reward that this man did. And I feel like it's that way in the ministry today. If you and I can come to God with an open mind and understand this terrific potential that all of us really have, this vast tank of reserves, if we could switch that tank and go to running on a special fluid, an anointing and a victory and new techniques and a new idea and a new prayer life, a regular, habitual prayer life so that every day we're praying, every day we've got a vision, every day we've got grip in our hand, every day we live with a burden, then that's the result it would be. As I said with the iceberg, a man who shows a big top, improve that man just 5% and you've improved immensely. A man with a little top who hasn't done much, he's not going to do much. So I want to appeal to those of you who are the champions in this room today, and we certainly have them here. You will be able, really, to get more from these ideas and this method and this new effort at personal consecration than the rest of us will. All right, what happens next? Still greater fruitfulness. A man who achieves one goal and stops there may be like Paul Harvey told about a couple of years ago on his news broadcast. They were having a big horse race somewhere. 
And this fellow lived and ate and sleep, slept that race. He got on a very fine mount and he led the whole group of horses all the way. And when he came by the finish stand, he reined his horse in and kept, knocked his head off and bowed to the stands. And he looked up and here came a thundering. Just here came that oil horse flesh right on top of him. He was a fool. There was one more lap in the race. All right, what happens after success? More success. As you grow and increase in God, you have more to work with. And then we are obligated then to more fruitfulness. There are unused reserves in every one of us. Now then, if you will notice here that judgment was made according to the use made of the talents. Nothing was said about, I gave you so much more talent or I gave you such a little. He said, why did not you take my money if you weren't going to work it and put it in the bank so it might pay me interest on my money? The thing you and I ought to be concerned with tonight is not how much talent we've got, how much know-how and how much schooling. That is of lesser consequence. The thing we need to be concerned about is what use are we making of this tremendous reserve of talents and abilities and skills that we have. Every one of us shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not the man who had ten talents. It's going to be based on the value of ten talents. But it's what he did with what he had. Please keep that in mind. Let's talk now uh, to steps to greater effectiveness. You'll recognize that uh, my talk today is merely, an, merely a preview of what we're going to be doing here these next two splendid days. Number one, A, is a belief in your own potential. The man who says, I can't do it, is very right. The man who says, yes, I can. God will help me. Jesus Christ has made wisdom unto me. If I don't know how, he'll show me how. But I've got a dream, I've got a vision, I've got a burden, I've got a desire, and here we go. I'm going to do it. A lovely remark at a, one of our committee meetings planning the seminar. He, he recalled the text where the Apostle Paul says, I can. I can do. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Oh, what lovely phrases. Number one, I can. I can do. I can do all things through Christ. And don't forget that. He said, Without me, you can do nothing. Let me add this, that on the basis of all that we who are trying to develop our ideas and encourage one another, it doesn't matter if you learn every technique in the book without the anointing and the touch and the fire of Almighty God bubbling in your soul. I want to tell you, none of it will work. Souls are blind, they are deaf, and their hearts are stone. And there's nothing but the Holy Ghost power that can bring that man to God. But if you learn how to apply things that have worked elsewhere, the Apostle Paul said, the things you've heard of me, teach others. That they may be able to teach others also. Anything that works in the kingdom of God is transferable. Learn how to make an altar call. Listen to the man that's done it. You can learn that. The things thou hast heard of me, tell others who shall be able to tell others also it is transferable.
All right, belief in your own potential. You know, we tend to look around. I, I interviewed a preacher not long ago, and I said, Elder, are you happy here in this town, this church? No. Uh, do you feel a burden for it? No, I wish to God I could get out of here tonight. Well, I said, uh, what's the trouble here? The saints uncharitable? Oh, no, they're wonderful saints. Well, what is your problem? It's this town, man. There's no potential here. I said, no potential. Well, I said, every house in this town has got no backslider in it. No potential? You've got to see the potential in you before you can see the potential in a town. New Orleans would present no challenge to a man who did not believe in himself. Houston would present no challenge to a man who did not believe that God could use him. You see, Jeremiah had that problem, and God couldn't use him a lick until he got over that problem. When God called him, he came this way. Oh, but I'm a child. I, I'm inadequate. I can't do that. There's nothing in me that you can use, Lord. And the Lord said, Say not. Say not. Don't, let's don't pass that by me no more. Let's don't have that goose jabber. Say not that you're a child because he said, I ordained you. I picked you out. And I'm going to give you what you need. But the first thing a man must have is a positive mental attitude. He's got to believe that God will help me. He's got to believe that heaven stands ready to assist you, that good can be done. Tremendous, significant good. First of all is belief in your own potential. That's what this program this morning, the first lecture is all about is helping you realize that there are vast resources in you right now that you can get the anointing and the blessing and the power of the Holy Ghost on and put them into play. The second thing that we need to have a step to effectiveness is commitment to the will of God. Brother Bean's going to follow me in just minutes and unburden his heart. He's been praying for days, wrestling with the subject of the will of God for your ministry. You have a right to differ with me on anything I shall say today or ever say, and we'll still be friends. But I'm going to tell you that I believe a man out of the will of God, there is nothing that can help that man be fruitful. I believe there's no technique. I believe there's no amount of training. I believe there's no amount of knowledge or know-how. No amount of energy. No amount of wheeling and dealing will ever make a man have that full-blown splendor of the anointing and blessing of God that everything he touches prospers out of the will of God. Brother Bean will handle that. Then in place C, clearly defined objectives. I feel like that there is no such thing as a man really finding his, making full proof of his ministry until he, in his mind, has crystal clear objectives. Goals. One time we had a boy that played basketball with us, and uh, he, he wasn't a good player, but the coach let him play a little, and they passed him the ball, and he sat down on it first. And then the next time they passed him the ball, he was so delighted that he was active and participating and playing that he went to the other end of the court and shot a goal and, holy, holy, roped it and made two points in a tight tournament game for the opponents. He was playing. But you see, say in the case of basketball, unless you clearly know what the rules are, you don't know whether to kick it or roll it or slap it or stomp it or dribble it or shoot it or pass it. You need to know what the objectives are. You need to know which end of the goal is ours. And so we, you know those things. And we're going to do our best under the anointing 
of the Holy Ghost in this third session to redefine what those objectives are. And I just don't, don't want to spoil Brother Major's text, but I want to give you my brief feeling on that. The apostles had clearly defined objectives, and it kept them from dibbling and dabbling. Someone has said, and it's been passed around and not investigated, not analyzed, but accepted. Oh, a preacher's got to be everything. He's got to be a veterinarian, and got to be a doctor, and he's got to be a lawyer, and a cab driver, and he's got to be donut roller. I deny that. The apostles had a clear concept of their objectives. He said it is not even reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Not when there's all that many people who can be trained to do a better job than we could do. And we can give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. Clearly defined objectives. What are they? And how can you put them into play so that your own church can immediately begin to grow? In 90 days, it's my sincere hope that there will be at least nine prominent, distinguished revivals that will come from the efforts of this seminar. I mean mighty moves of God. Strong growth in addition to our churches. It's easily within our reach. In the place D, eagerness to learn. The Apostle Paul, when he was seasoned, established, and an old man, and in prison, with limited opportunities. When wintertime was drawing on, he wrote to one of his assistants and said, when you come, bring my coat. It's going to be cold and damp in this place. And bring the books. And bring the parchments. And then thinking of the rigors of travel in that day and thinking what all he had ordered, the books and the parchments and my coat, he looked at it and thought that might be too much physical weight. And so he said, if you can't bring my coat, bring my books. What books? It's inconceivable that he did not have the Old Testament with him. In my mind, a man that preached every few minutes, had to change the guard every quarter hour, he didn't have the book with him. He did not say bring the book. He said bring the books. Back there on the back there are some fine books. Brother Spell is a very effective man in the, the book business. I have asked him to bring as full a display as he could carry in his car. You might find something there you want to read. Some of these days I'm going to preach me a little two-bit sermon on when preachers quit reading. Brother Green and I were uh, visiting a man and uh, <coughs> Brother Green told me this. He said, you know... Uh, way up the country here uh, some saints that were relatives came by and visited me and they were in our service and uh, they were so thrilled and pleased and excited about the wonderful interesting services and they just kind of not out of disloyalty but you know saints have got feelings too not out of disloyalty but just well however you want to interpret they said I wish our pastor would preach something interesting I wish he'd say something that would help us said Almost every week we hear over and over the sad story about how his father-in-law died with a heart attack and said he goes through the same gasp each time. He tells it just like it is. Each time it's always the same. But you know, we can all tell it before he can tell it. We know it better than he does. 
A preacher that quits reading is going to lose the prestige and the respect of his hearers. The only way to keep that tremendously massive mind alert and active is to exercise it. Your mind is like a tank with a leak in the bottom. If you do not continuously replace it with something timely and inspirational and helpful, after a while we'll find ourselves being just a bunch of bones clattering in there. He said, bring the book. Willingness to learn. I was talking to a man one time about another preacher about how do, you, how do you think he is? Is he a good student? And the man said to me, I don't believe that man's even got a dictionary. Pity poor saint. All right, in the place of E, discovery and correction of errors. Tonight, if that is your desire, if you'll notice on your program, there are three suggested topics. We'll take a little popular vote here tonight and give precedence to which one of those are. If you'd like to discuss another problem other than that, we're going to have group sessions tonight, problem-solving sessions. be something different than we have during the day. You'll enjoy that. If a man can spot the errors that he would have had and avoid those errors, how much farther his ministry will be. And then in place F, the zeal of the Lord. Brother Ike Terry went to the Bible school in California and preached, and he, I said, what are you going to preach about, Brother Terry? And he said, there's only two things that should be preached to preachers. Number one is sound doctrine, and number two is zeal. That's a wonderful combination. It may lack a few vitamins, but that's the red meat and the bone. So Brother O'Brien is going to bring the closing message, as you have observed, tomorrow <laughs> evening. We need to be consumed with the zeal of the Lord. This has been a Fruitful Ministry Foundation presentation.